All right. So thanks to everybody for joining us tonight. Uh, to, tonight, we want to review our lesson from Sunday, which was entitled uh, The Way, the Truth and the Life. And as I said, I'm so excited about this lesson. And even though there are there are some uh, foundational principles of the faith. Uh, as I have studied and prepared, uh, there are some additional things that I hope we, you will find uh, interesting and, and helpful as we review the lesson tonight taken from John uh, 14, uh, 1 through 11. So in the opening, the first thing, I just want to do a quick recap of, of the lesson. Uh, simply, it was stated uh, the way, the truth, and the life, and this referring to Jesus, being that he is the way, he is the way uh, to, to God, uh, and there is, there is no other way. He is, he is that way. Now, some people uh, beg to differ with that and are a little confused in, in that regard. There's something that I want to share with you that was in the expositor, and I have not sent that in your reading, but I want to read just, just a brief little paragraph. And it says that in Wilmette, Illinois, stands a nine-sided temple of the Baha'i faith. It features nine entrances, but each enters the same room. The implication is that whatever religious leader or religion you follow, including diverse figures such as Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, and Confucius, you come to the same truth. It does not matter that these religions are not in agreement. In Baha'i thinking, they all reveal the same God and in different ways. But our Lord Jesus is exclusive. This is what we know to be true as, as Christians. He is the way. He is the only way. As he said in John 10, 9, I am the door. Again, the only, the only door. So for those that believe that there are various entrances, various doorways or entrances that can reach the same destination. That is uh, clearly erroneous thinking based on uh, scripture as, as we know it. And unfortunately, there are individuals that think of, of faith and think of our restoration and, and being able, our pathway to God as many options, almost like a GPS. When uh, you do a route to a destination, there are options. You can say no toll roads or the fastest route, you know, this type of thing or a highway, um, scenic route, but this isn't the case in, in Christianity based on what we know of, of scripture. There is but one way, and Jesus said it plainly himself, that he is that way to, to God. Then secondly, in John 14, uh, Jesus declares that he is the truth and the thing I love about, about this is that most people think about truth as, um, as a, a concept, something that we strive to, to learn and gain knowledge. But Jesus is speaking in regards that he is the truth, that he is the embodiment of truth or understanding that everything that he teaches, he is the embodiment of that, that he not only um, teaches truth, but he lives truth and he shows us uh, the way. And also I maintain, and I've said this before over and over, I think a lot of people are in a quest for truth and we'll talk a little bit about this later tonight as well, but there can be no understanding of what truth is if there is no relationship with who truth is. And so we know that that truth is, is Jesus. And then finally, Jesus maintained in uh, the John 14 uh, that we had read earlier that he was the life. 
in that he has always, he's always existed, that he actually gave life to creation and he helps to, to sustain it. And the great news is that for those who put their trust in Jesus, that we are afforded on this side abundant and meaningful life today and also eternal life with, with him in, in the future. And that is just a blessed, blessed uh, promise. So um, I want to uh, transition, uh, transition slightly here. I'm going to share a screen for, um, for this, this portion. Um, let's see. If you will see here, let me see if I can share this. This was uh, this was also in the uh, in the expository, and I want to talk a little bit about this diagram. This was illustrating uh, illustrating the lesson, and it uh, actually it goes into uh, the second portion of of the discussion uh, where these the various symbols that you see there. There are five symbols that are on the left that lead to destruction, but Jesus is the only way to God. But to preface that, I, I want to say this, first of all, that uh, 2020 uh, statistics show these numbers that I think are uh, significant. Uh, it said that in 2020, there were some 2.3 billion adherents to Christianity, and that is a little over 31%. Islam was next with 1.9 billion or 24.9%. Then we have about 15 and a half percent that are unaffiliated, that don't profess any religious affiliation. Then 1.6 billion uh, Hindus, and that would be about 15%. And then remaining 6.62% uh, Buddhism. Now, the reason I, I wanted to share this is because many of you may be familiar with with the uh, with the scripture that says um, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. And the thing that stood out to me, the thing that stood out to me in um, in this this diagram here was that even though there are um, there are some two point three billion adherents to to Christianity, uh, that's only 31% of the population. So therefore, there is a huge opportunity and need for those who are lost and those that don't know Jesus to come to to know to know Jesus. But uh, I'm going to stop this share in a moment, but let me just go through quickly with you what I will be. I'm going to expound upon each of these symbols in just a minute. This little uh, first circle is kind of this yin-yang yin uh, symbol here. Uh, that's uh, Taoism or Taoism. And then the second here, this symbol is related to Hinduism. The third here with the moon and the star, that would be uh, Islam. And then this little wheel uh, that would be represents uh, Buddhism. And then this symbol rec uh, would represent uh, secular humanism. So uh, I just want you to think about those symbols as we proceed with, with the study. If you'd like to have this little uh, illustration, I can uh, send that to you later. But I I'm going to stop the share right now. And I want to go into uh, a little brief discussion about each of those of those symbols. Let me preface it by saying saying this. I only want to share a brief uh, segment concerning uh, these other religions 
uh, as I said, because it reminds us of the dire need and opportunity to reach uh, those who do not know, know Jesus. However, I don't recommend uh, an intense immersion, if you will, in, in world religions. What I suggest people do is that you study the authentic. It's important, more important, I believe, for Christians to understand why we believe what we believe, and then therefore we will be able to identify that which is, is counterfeit or false. So with that said, let me just uh, give you a few little points about each of those, um, those uh, five other religions that we saw that lead to destruction. Now, what I want you to think about as I share these points, I want you to think about these from the standpoint of how they perhaps contradict what the Bible teaches us about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and or contradictions to what we uh, believe according to scripture and the teachings of Jesus uh, to be true about Christianity. So the first, um, the first religion there that I, sh I showed you, that little yin-yang symbol, uh, is Taoism or Taoism, which was uh, founded in about the 6th uh, century BC by a Chinese uh, philosopher. Now, th this particular uh, religion, it stresses harmonizing with Tao. And, and interestingly enough, Tayo means uh, the way or, um, or the path. So um, keep that in mind. Now, some of the other, some of the other principles here suggest <clears throat> that um, they stress harm, harmonizing and to live life with goodness, serenity, and respect. Um, they believe a person should be influenced by instinct and conscience and that there's a, a law of, of unity and harmony with the black side being uh, female, or and the, which is the yin, and then the yang or the white side is the male. So some of you may have seen that people with you know, yoga or the balance, um, and they achieve this through meditation and chi, which is energy. And also in that belief, they believe you can live forever by practicing certain rituals and strict guidelines, and, but they don't believe in God. Okay, so with that said, what I want us to take home message when we look at contradictions, perhaps, we know that Jesus is the way. And so we there is God, there's the one true God. And the only way we can get to him is through Jesus. Jesus is that way. There's not Tayo, Jesus is the way, he is our path. And that uh, where uh, Tao is, they believe that, you know, you can, um, you know, live forever, you know, based on certain practices and strict guidelines. We know that our works don't save us. We are saved by God's grace and grace alone, not by any works that any man could boast. All right. So the next uh, symbol that I showed you was Hinduism. And um I, I personally think that Hinduism, at least for me, is in trying to, you know, kind of understand the, the premise of, of what they believe was the most, most confusing. But uh, some of the things that I found out about Hinduism is that they believe that truth is eternal and they pursue knowledge and understanding of the truth. But remember what we said, <laughs> that the only way we understand truth is have a relationship with who truth is. But they believe that truth, uh, that what they call Brahman is truth and reality. And that Brahman uh, is a formless, kind of all-inclusive, eternal uh, sort of 
God that controls the universe by, you know, cause and effect, that his, that the Brahman uh, transcendent power exists beyond, you know, the universe. However, they don't really worship this power. Um, but, and they also believe that souls aren't created or destroyed, but there's a continuous cycle of life, death, reincarnation, and that's based on karma, how you lived your life. But, okay, the things we know with Christianity that contradict that is we have one life to live. <laughs> we don't get an opportunity. If you don't do so good in this life, it's not a matter of, oh, well, you could at worst just come back as a mouse or a cat or something. You have but one life, one life uh, to live. And we will be rewarded according to that life. And we will either gain entrance into heaven with Jesus based on our acceptance of, of Jesus uh, and we can only, he is the path that leads us again to, to God and the Holy Spirit, not Brahman, but a Holy Spirit would be our guiding force, which we are privileged as believers to have living inside of us and leading and guiding us. Now, Islam was the next symbol, remember, with the moon and that the, the star. And interestingly uh, enough, there are many similarities. Uh, there are some similarities in Islam and, and Christianity. Um, but the, in Islam, they believe that God, they call God is Allah, and there's no God but God. Now, while they believe in Jesus or they uh, respect Jesus as a, a prophet, they do not believe that he is the son of God. They believe that Muhammad was uh, God's final prophet and messenger that received instructions from an angel. Unlike Jesus, he had like 11 wives. Um, and uh, he believed that they believe in holy books, uh, as I said, such as the writings of Muhammad, which is the Quran. They, and they acknowledge the holy writings of Jesus in the gospels. They just don't necessarily, they should adhere uh, to, to them. Uh, they believe in angels. They also believe in the day of, of judgment. They believe in predestination, that God knows that all, and if bad things happen, that uh, Allah must have, have planned it. Uh, they believe, though, that Jesus was a prophet and, and he performed miracles. But this is, this is one of the uh, one of the major problems here with uh, the is the faith of Islam is that they they don't believe in original sin, and so therefore they don't see a need for Jesus as as a savior. The concept of original sin is not part of the Islamic um, doctrine. They basically believe that that humans are born without sin and with the desire to please God and that we have the free will, which causes us to go astray. But God is always willing to forgive us. But I want you to write down for those of you that may be taking notes. There are, are some specific scriptures I want to share tonight. You can look at those later. Uh, Psalms 51 and 5 which David talks about, you know, behold, I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Um, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, Romans 5.12 says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Uh, also, you can find some references to um, the concept of original sin, Ecclesiastes 7.20, also Psalm 28, uh, I'm sorry, Psalms 58 and 3, and Romans 5 and, and 9. So as I said, we know that uh, 
that, you know, the, the contradiction here of Islam, how things that don't line up with what we know to be true of Christianity. God's word clearly says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And contrary to that, those who do not uh, will, will perish. So moving on, um, the next uh, religion that was in that diagram was Buddhism. And they don't really believe in any kind of uh, deity or God. They just have basic principles about ways to achieve uh, enlightenment through like meditation and spiritual, physical labor and good behavior. They have like four noble truths, which state like human life has a lot of suffering. Uh, the, secondly, the cause of suffering is greed. Uh, thirdly, there's an end to suffering. And fourth, which is interesting, it said the way to end suffering is to follow the what they call the middle path. Uh, and this is to avoid ex uh, extremes of self-gratification to self-mortification. You know, now, the contradiction we find here in, in Christianity when we look at Buddhism First of all, we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and know that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Also, uh, I find it interesting in Buddhism where they talk about the, you know, the middle, the middle path as the way, you know, to kind of succeed um, and be enlightened, if you will, by avoiding extreme gratification or self-mortification. And while there are some good principles or uh, some reasonable principles in that, that thinking, we know that the Bible tells us in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, that we're to enter in at the straight gate that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in um, thereat because the straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. So in other words, we can't straddle the fence. There's not a, a middle way. There is the way and that's straight and narrow and that's through Jesus. And we must choose that way for uh, righteousness. Now, the, the final, the final uh, religion that I want to, or the, the final diagram image there, I want to speak briefly on is secular humanism. And this is kind of more of a modern thinking that basically just maintains that uh, humanity is capable of, uh, of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. <laughs> and, and basically, I didn't have a, a, a real... Uh, sort of theological uh, impression about that. The first thing that came to my mind was ha and LOL, <laughs> that for those that believe that we're capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God, you know, people are, you know, struggling uh, because of the, the uh, you know, competing affections and because of the, the struggles, the war within, because of the enemy struggle or those that even uh, profess uh, a belief in God. So those that think that they are kind of self uh, self-maintain, uh, they are uh, able to do things in and apart from, from God, I say, uh, LOL to that. Um, but scripturally, more on the serious side, we know that Luke 18 and 19 confirms this when Jesus said himself, when he was uh, you know, speaking to his followers, and he says, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. Um, Psalm 14 and three even says they have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. Uh, there is none who uh, does good, not even not even one. So again, you know, scripture tells us plainly that in and of ourselves, we just cannot uh, do good and be able to continue, continue in that. And in fact, I think Paul makes a very good uh, assessment when he says when he says this in Romans 7, 14 through 25. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work in verse 21 of Romans 7. It says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that that was, that was Paul's... Uh, Paul's reminder to us that in our flesh, that they're apart from, from God and his spirit living in us and guiding us, there is nothing, nothing good and that the flesh is enmity uh, with God. So thank you for indulging me for a few minutes as I, I shared those other positions for other uh, religious beliefs or, or faiths, uh, hopefully not to confuse you, but to let you know that there are so many people so that desperately desperately need need Jesus. And again, as I said in the opening, uh, concerning world religions, it's, uh, it's a, my position. I think sometimes in doing an in-depth study that may seem almost oppressive, I would encourage you though, to focus on what's authentic. Focus on God's word. Just as a gemologist, just someone that, that uh, is aware of being able to test the quality and understand about diamonds and the brilliance of diamonds and their worth. They don't learn that from spending all day looking at zirconias and Australian crystals and things that do not meet the standard of a diamond. They learn uh, and, and hone those skills because they study what is authentic. That's what I believe we must do as, as believers. Instead of being so concerned about what other people are believing, first of all, we need to understand why we believe what we believe, study what is authentic, and then we'll be able to identify, we'll be able to identify the counterfeit and, and, and spot those things that don't line up with, uh, with the word, with the word of God. So, um, I want to uh, I want to keep on going here if if I can um, transition into research and discussion. But if you have any questions from this segment, I will allow time at at the at the end for those that want to um, that that want to uh, share in in that regard. I'm going to save that first question 
for the last because again, I will pause if there are those that want to share um, their thinking uh, on on that question about what are some things uh, you can do to keep your heart from being troubled. And in such a need today, people need to understand what they can do in that regard. But uh, quickly, a uh, question to it was talking about in the section about Jesus being the way, the truth and the life. And uh, he was uh, telling disciples not be troubled as he was he was informing them that that his imminent death was was uh, quickly approaching. And he also began to talk about um that uh, he was going to prepare a place. And so there was a question that asked, was Jesus talking about literal mansions or uh, figurative figurative uh, language? And, and, and they are referencing where it says, in my father's house are many, many mansions. And we know that basically that was, uh, Jesus was kind of figuratively uh, speaking, if, if you will, uh, I want to combine actually that question with question three, which asks us, what does it mean that Jesus will receive us to uh, to himself? So essentially here concerning the mansions, Jesus was emphasizing more the unity, if you will, of God's family and the intimate you know, fellowship among its members. Uh, he didn't uh, stress magnificence of beauty or gold mansions. Um, or you know, housing per se in that regard, but he emphasized the harmonious, never-ending relationship of all uh, believers in the family of God. So Jesus is gone to prepare that that place, you know, in his in his house where he is, and there is more than enough room for all believers who accept him to be able to dwell with him, you know, in in that in that place. Now. And Jesus will receive us unto himself. The only thing about receiving us to himself and for us to gain interest, entrance into that place is that there has to be kind of a proof of eligibility. You may have uh, perhaps when you have uh, attempted to rent an apartment or uh, housing, you know, they may have required that you provide a proof of eligibility, either through your mailing address or a light bill or uh, your eligibility as a citizen, something on your, if your birth certificate, those type of things. Um, but what we have to realize, Jesus provides, Jesus is our proof of eligibility that for those who receive him, he provides that proof of eligibility for us to be uh, entitled to that entrance into that place that he has has prepared prepared for us. Um, I know that uh, I was thinking recently about this. Uh, my grandfather, he was a part of an electric uh, corporation where he, uh, in, instead of uh, kind of a bigger company that many of us know, had a smaller corporation where all of the members actually, they received dividends from uh, from the electricity that they purchased. And it continues through pe perpetuity. So even though my grandfather has passed away because he was a member of that corporation and I am an heir uh, because I have proof of eligibility that I was his granddaughter, um, that that entitles me as a proof of eligibility 
that I can still receive those those benefits that actually were were my my grandfather. So such as it is with heaven that we each through Jesus, we receive the proof of eligibility for the entrance into the place that he has prepared for us and not necessarily worrying about how big our mansion will be, but that there will be enough space for those that trust him and believe him on this side to be able to enter into um, to that place. Um, question four, I think, uh, was basically a reminder to us. It said, when uh, Philip asked a question that Jesus had just answered, what does Jesus's second response teach us about dealing with, you know, with difficult, dealing with difficult people? And so basically there, it was uh, just, it was reiterating, Jesus had just told them that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And it, and, and so uh, then he says, if you had known me, you should have known my father. And Philip in turn turns around and says, Lord, show us the father. And it suffices us. And so fortunately, Jesus responded with, you know, with a gentle rebuke. And, and so that will be my take home message with that. For those that are dealing with difficult people, and we all have our experiences with difficult people, but we find that Jesus, he used a gentle rebuke. And so even in times where there needs to be a rebuke, uh, I, I'm always reminded and love the scripture in uh, Galatians 6 and 1. It says that if there's a brethren who's caught in a, a fault, it says those of you who are spiritual, it said you should restore, but you should restore them, them gently. Uh, but you also have to be mindful of yourself that you don't fall into the same temptation. So in other words, don't get so caught up in trying to correct everybody else that you forget to be on watch and be prayed up and find yourself falling into, into the, same, the same temptation. And then the fifth question simply asks, why do people have a hard time believing that Jesus and, and the Father are, are one. And I simply believe because a, a lot of that is that people are very tangible. And I think people think about that from a natural perspective. And as far as understanding like the Trinity, even there's no way you can really understand that in, in the, in the natural. Now, uh, some people still find that pretty confusing, but I heard a, a, a description once that I, I think is, is, is pretty good in helping us to, to, you know, to understand. And that's, uh, if you think about the Trinity, uh, likened to water. Most people know that water is in the chemical composition is H2O, two parts hydrogen, two parts oxygen, even if you're not a major, you know, chemistry buff. But we know that if water is frozen, that it becomes ice. If it at, uh, at room temperature or pourable, it is just simply like drinking water. But then when you boil it, it becomes st steam. So it takes on three different forms. The basic composition is the same. Such is the deity of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, the whole purpose is of, of um, the, the Trinity is that that man could be restored uh, to the rightful place with God after sin entered in. And so each God has his role. Jesus, the son has his role and the Holy Spirit that lives with us within us has uh, its role as, as well. But it's basically like the, the major composition or the goal is like the composition of H2O. And so the Trinity uh, being that spiritual foundation of, of and design uh, composition to bring us back to 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 God through the the work of God the Father, Jesus His Son, and the Holy Spirit that lives within us. 
All right. So I know we are uh, getting close on the end of our time. So I, I do want to finish up now with that, um, that first question that says, what are some things you can do to keep your heart from being troubled? And so I'm going to pause just a moment and see if there's anyone that wants to uh, share about, about it. All right, so we're going to resume our discussion now about what are some things you can do to keep your heart from, from being troubled. And I think many people could benefit from that today because there's so many things that are pressing upon the hearts of the people. And so Lauren, you wanted to share some thoughts on that. Um, for me, you know, I can't speak for other people, but um, some things to keep me from allowing my heart to be troubled is to stay in right connection with the Lord and communicating with him regularly all day from the start of my day throughout the day um and staying close to him you know to know that he's with me always and no matter what's going on in the land um the troubles I might see that I know that he's allowing it to happen for a reason and that I just have to um keep keep the faith and when you pray to him, he gives you the peace to endure the troubles to, you know, even when things seem stressful, it's like, you know, asking God for that strength daily is what helps me. And then remembering um, what Matthew 1130 says, where he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the Lord's not going to put more on me that I can, than I can bear. So just remembering that if God is allowing troubles to happen or um, difficult things to come your way that he's with you and um, you have to just trust in him but it has to be a daily thing because if you if you don't practice that daily then your heart can get troubled so that's what I do amen so no wonder that in 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 Jesus in his kind of uh, outline if you will of the the Lord's prayer for the disciples he told them um this was, they needed to ask for bread, daily bread. He didn't say we were to ask for weekly bread or, or monthly bread. So I think it's a point well taken. It's important that we come to God every day because the manna from yesterday won't necessarily sustain us for the new day or the days, the days ahead. Um, I see that, um, Someone has sent and through the chat, John 14, 27 states, peace has been left with us and the, uh, let not our hearts be, be troubled or be afraid. Therefore, we need to remember God's peace that, that protects our hearts. Thank you for that, Naja. Uh, Bishop, did you have something that you wanted to share at this, at this juncture? <clears throat> not really anything new. Uh, uh, I... Uh... I like what's been said already to sum it up. Um, I think it's important, though, for us to get in the mindset uh, that we're going to have trouble. Uh, I think sometimes we act surprised when we have trouble, as though we don't, don't, don't anticipate it. Uh, but we're going to have trouble. Uh, and so the important thing is how we respond to trouble. And Lauren um, said uh, about Jesus said his yoke is easy. So placing our um, uh, trouble on his, on him, mm -hmm. um, we learn to do that. 
And Jesus also said, he said, cast your cares upon me. Right. So we got to learn to cast our cares upon Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that lifts our burdens. It, it, it gives us comfort uh, when we cast, cast on him our troubles. Amen. 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 Anyone else before I share a few closing points? All right, Bishop, actually, he, he hit on some of uh, the things that the, the Spirit revealed to me when I thought about this and, and kind of keeping your heart from being troubled and kind of was um, the first Peter 5 and 7, you know, casting our cares and uh, Hebrews 13 and 5, reminding us that uh, God will never leave nor forsake us. And uh, he's a very present help in the time of trouble. Psalm 46 and 1. Uh, nothing's too hard for, for God. Genesis 18, 14. Uh, for those during times of sickness, know that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes. We're healed. Um, we think that's from Isaiah um, and in Peter. So I think practically speaking, you know, to take this word and then how do we apply it, you know, practically, you know, we just have to learn, we shouldn't engage in, in certain things in order to, to uh, keep our heart from being troubled. You know, we have to clearly do, do our part. You know, God's always going to do his part, but we have to do our part. There's certain things we can't engage in. Um, we have to avoid, you know, doing or being engaged in activities that uh, displease God. Uh, when we find ourselves kind of off-roading, if you will, uh, we need to repent and keep short accounts. We need to re repent quickly from, from our sin. And another thing for me is, and Bishop and I have made this, this decision, certain things like at night, we want to be restful and don't want to go to bed trouble. We don't watch the news <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I found that most of the news reportings is just doom and gloom. And, and so we just chose not to uh, you know, partake of something that simple of not looking at the news, or if you do, just be careful, be careful of, of, your, of your sources. So with that said, I want to leave you with some final points. And I believe as I was preparing this lesson, it was so profound, and I believe we could pretty much stay in this all, all year. And in fact, God gave me, I believe, the scripture. And if it's not for you, it's definitely for me that I believe should be a guiding principle for this year in 2022 from Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. And it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze direct before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Um, and, and so I believe that guarding our heart is, is going to be, be crucial. And I was reading a, an article that I, I love because it, it showed a parallel between our spiritual heart conditions and our physical heart conditions. And so because of my connections and, and past associations in, in medicine, I thought this was, this was beautiful. I'm going to share it with you quickly. If you'd like that full article or either uh, a transcript of the teaching, I'll be happy to send you either of those. But one of the things it talked about as far as in guarding our hearts and the diseases of our heart, if you think about, uh, you've heard of hardening of the arteries or atherosclerosis, okay? 
And so that's when you have plaques and cholesterol that that build up and can cause, you know, heart attacks and impairment of the the heart being able to to function. And that's likened to when we refuse to acknowledge the truth of God's word or accept it. So uh, we want to guard our hearts against a rebellious spirit and cultivate a spirit that's submissive to the obedience to God's word. That's one of the first steps of guarding our heart. Then a second heart condition that may be um, known to to many, uh, you probably heard of of a heart heart murmur. And this is caused by a a faulty heart valve. You have four chambers of the heart, two upper chambers and two lower chambers, the atria at the top and the ventricles at the bottom. And in between those chambers of the heart, there are valves that help regulate the correct flow of of the blood in, in the heart. So when those are abnormal, that's when you you have um, the the murmurs that cause cause problems. Likewise, when we have spiritual heart murmurs, that's likened to believers complaining and gossiping, disputing and having contention. And because these things, they shift our focus away from the plans and purposes and past blessings of God. They shift them from those things to the things of the world. And so as Christians, we are to, we're instructed to strive for contentment in all things, that we are to trust God and to provide what is needed in his good, good time. So in order to guard against a complaining spirit and cultivate that spirit of gratitude and trust, this would be like a second step towards guarding our heart against those heart, heart murmurs. Then the third condition uh, you may have heard of is like congestive heart failure. And this is the inability of the heart to successfully pump blood through the body due to weaknesses within the wall. And this can result from conditions such as high blood pressure, from heart attacks, from enlarged hearts. And so the spiritual equivalence to those would be anger, giving into temptation and pride. And the reason being Anger, anger makes believers more vulnerable to uh, to temptation and to hurt others. And, you know, Ephesians 4 and 31 through 32, it warns us against this. And, but sometimes, you know, we get so focused on the external enemies that we forget that oftentimes our main struggles are the wars within our own minds and our own thoughts. And you can look at James 1, 14 through 16 for more information um, about that. Um, then also pride, you know, pride leads to destruction. Uh, pride comes before the fall. Remember Lucifer, you know, who wanted to, uh, did not want to obey God. He wanted to be uh, God him, himself. Uh, Proverbs 16, 5 reminds us that uh, everyone with a proud heart is an abomination uh, to the Lord. So if we're avoiding anger, pride, and, and temptation, these are critical elements to guarding, guarding our, our heart. And so when we find that in these three ways, these three ways are what ultimately protects us from sin. And so many times people think about guarding their heart as kind of a lock and key or a soldier at the door and something we have to do. And that's why people make internal vows, say, I'll never let anybody hurt me like that again. And so they erect walls and ways to try to protect themselves. And when they do that, what they're doing is erecting counterfeit walls. And so the Holy Spirit is not able to operate in its fullness either. That's not what we're talking about in guarding your heart. We're talking about we guard our heart as we just shared in in the ways of 
not being having a hardened heart, not having a murmuring heart, not having a heart filled with, uh, you know, yielding to temptation or anger and pride, all of those those things that would uh, allow us to sin. That's how we want to guard our heart is against uh, walking in in sin or being or yielding to the temptations of of sin. So with all that said, I want to leave you with one of my favorite scriptures as far as a way I believe we can guard our heart or we cannot let our heart be troubled. And that's Philippians 4, 8 and 9. And it says simply, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, uh, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So I pray this teaching tonight that it has blessed blessed you as we have uh, been able to just talk about Jesus being the way, the truth and the life and uh, just understanding that in comparison to other false religions and how it's so important that we study what is authentic. Uh, we must be intentional. We must be intentional about our, th our thoughts and guard our heart against sin by not letting our heart be hardened, uh, not murmuring and complaining. Um, and, and we don't want to, to fall captive to uh, just kind of congestive uh, heart failure as well uh, when we see that uh, we have anger and pride and yielding to temptation. Uh, so uh, I, I pray that this has been uh, a rhema word for you tonight. And because some of this has been somewhat intense, I want to leave on a lighter note, because I also believe that in this new year and every day, uh, perspective is so important. You know, I always say that I believe that most of life is whether we choose to see uh the kind of the partly sunny perspective. Always remember that even on cloudy days, the sun is still present. And whether we call it partly cloudy or partly sunny is a matter of where our focus is. So let our focus be on Jesus, knowing that the sun, the S-O-N is always present, never to leave nor forsake us, even on, on the cloudy days. And and uh, be intent on having a positive, a positive focus. Uh, I heard, uh, I heard a, a story uh, recently that I want to share in closing that hopefully will encourage your heart. And it was about a woman who was losing her hair. And one morning she woke up, she had three hairs on her head only. And she said, well, I think today I'm going to braid my hair. So with the three strands of hair, she braided her hair. So next day she woke up, she only had two strands of hair. And she said, wow, I think I'm going to do pigtails today because she had two strands of hair. And then the third day she woke up, she only had one strand left and says, oh, well, I guess today I'll do a ponytail. So the next day um, she woke up and all of her hair, all of her hair was got, gone. And she said, well, praise the Lord. Today I don't have to worry about doing my hair. So, uh, again, everything is about uh, perspective and whether we choose to see the partly sunny or the partly cloudy perspective. So I pray that you won't let your hearts be troubled, but you'll be encouraged in this new year, uh, guarding your, your heart with all uh, diligence uh, in protecting your heart against sin and drawing close uh, to God and leaning on the promises of, of God's word, knowing that God is a promise keeper. So uh, I pray that you're blessed.
And until God's next time, we just uh, give him praise for his word. All right.